may be seated. Go ahead and open up in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter number 1. 2 Kings chapter number 1. We've been going through the life of Elijah, and I hope and pray that it's been a blessing and a help to you. 2 Kings chapter number 1, I've, I've enjoyed it, and I hope you have enjoyed it as much as I have. And I've been getting these lessons really from John Butler's book and his, uh, his biography on Bible characters. And I did mention that it was not the last lesson, the lesson prior to that, uh, that it was not included in his book. And so I, I wrote that. And then uh, this lesson, I, I kind of uh, ad-libbed a little bit. So, so if you were to get that book, you'd find, well, that's quite a bit different. Well, sometimes I do that, all right? And so, uh, so we'll just go with what I got here, and, uh, and uh, I hope and pray that it'll be a help to you. Uh, the ministry of Elijah here in this chapter is, is nearing to an end, really. And God's already told Elijah to appoint Elisha uh, in his place and uh, as his successor. And King Ahab's reign... Uh, in this chapter has already come to an end, uh, and his family will not continue on the throne. You remember last week that we looked about uh, at King Ahab and how he had taken Naboth's vineyard, and God said then, hey, you are going to die, your wife is going to die, and your children are going to die. There will, you will not continue uh, in the throne. Most kings in Israel would hope and most kings, I think, in history would hope, well, I'm going to reign, and my children are going to reign. You know, the queen just passed away in England, and uh, it's been all over the news and everything. And, and I, I thought, uh, you know, I, I, the, the, the king now uh, is going to take the throne. She's really been queen for 50, more than 50 years, I believe. It was quite a long time, 70 years, something like that. Uh, it was a long time. And, uh, and I, I try not to meddle too much in English business ever since 70, 1700s when we broke ties with them. I'm like, hey, we are our own country, amen? And uh, let them float their boat and uh, we'll float ours and we'll all be happy. And so, uh, but, uh, but, you know, that's the idea is that you would continue to reign. That's a long reign, 70 years, and that uh, her, her uh, well, I don't know if it was her father or grandfather before her, uh, I remember reading some of it, and now her son, and you think, boy, that's a long time that they would occupy the throne in, in England. And really, many of the kings and queens would hope and think that, hey, their time of reign and their succession of their family's reign would last a long time. But the problem comes when, uh, in the case of Ahab, when sin gets in the way. And God says, eh, you're done. Uh, Israel was a special place, and uh, it was God's chosen people. And so when they chose not to honor God, then God would decide, hey, you know, we're done. We're going a different direction. And uh, you see that throughout the course of the history of Israel. And it really was his own, his own fault. It was Ahab's fault. It was not God's fault. Uh, that, that his throne would not continue because of his own sin. And, uh, and, and so we see that throughout Scripture. We see also that Ahab really despised God's prophet. Uh, he did not care for Elijah uh, because Elijah was always prophesying against him. Well, uh, the simple fix for this is that if he would have simply fixed his attitude towards God, 
then his attitude towards God's man, the prophet, would have been a whole lot better and he would not have had any problems. Uh, but that, of course, is not the way that it turned out. And uh, we find in his son that it's not much different. And we, I've, I've used this saying it several times over the past week. It seems like it's come out that uh, the apple truly does not fall far from the tree. And, and we find that is the case with Ahab, Ahaziah, his son, that reigns in his stead. On the flip side of that, hey, listen, uh, you can break the chain of sin. Not you as in your own strength, but if, hey, if you turn to God, God will help you break that. And God will change your life. And God will make you, as the Bible says, a new creature. And all the old things will be passed away and new th all things will become new. And so God can change uh, those things, but you have to turn to Him and get help from Him. And we find that Ahaziah did not do this and he did not break the cycle. Look, the, the cycle. Look with me in 2 Kings chapter 1 and verse number 1. The Bible says this, then Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. And Ahaziah fell down through a lattice in his upper chamber that was in Samaria and was sick. And he sent messengers and said unto them, Go inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover of this disease. But the angel of the Lord said unto Elisha, Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up, and meet the messenger, messengers of the king of Samaria, and say unto them, Is it not because there is not a god in Israel that ye go to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Akron? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt not come down from that bed on which Thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. And Elijah departed. Let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank You just for Your goodness to us. Thank You, Father, for the privilege that we have to be here this morning. God, to open up Your Word, to have the Word of God in our hands and in our laps and in our homes and, and carry it with us. Thank You for that privilege. And God, I pray that You would just uh, uh, bless the service this morning. God, I pray that You'd use me. God, I pray as we look at Elijah and Ahaziah, uh, the, this, this king, and God, I pray that we would uh, seek you, and God, we'd fear you in our lives, and Father, we'll thank you for that, and God, we'll give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. As we look at the first thing that we see here is the plight of Ahaziah. The plight of Ahaziah. In other words, hey, he found himself in a situation. Now, we don't have a lot of details about what happened. Matter of fact, verse number 2 simply states a fact, and Ahaziah fell down through a lattice in his upper chamber. And, uh, and we understand that uh, he didn't just fall down, but he probably fell all the way to the ground. Probably a lattice in a window, and, uh, and he would have fallen out and fallen all the way to the ground. And then because of this fall, uh, it caused him to be sick. Now, we don't know what the problem was. Maybe he got infected. Maybe it broke a vertebrae in, in his back and he couldn't move his lower half of his body. We don't really know what the problem was. All we know is that he fell and he was laid up in his bed. And, uh, 
Uh, John Butler called this the providence of God. And I'm careful to not attribute every event that takes place in our life as the providence of God. And here's why. Um, do you ever hear about, we'll, we'll, we'll stop for a minute. Do you ever hear about the, uh, uh, the, the hyper-Calvinist? that fell down seven flights of stairs. You know what a hyper-Calvinist is? A hyper-Calvinist is somebody who believes that everything that happens in their life is ordained of God. And so this hyper-Calvinist, he fell down seven flights of the stairs, and, uh, and he got up at the bottom, and he wiped his brow off, and he said, Whew, thank the Lord that that is over with. Because he thought God ordained him to fall down the stairs, and that's what, that's what it was in his life. And so I'm very careful not to attribute every event that takes place in history as providentially ordained by God. Or maybe I should say orchestrated by God. Because the end of that road is hyper-Calvinism. That is believing that you cannot change anything in your life, uh, and that everything is predetermined. And if that's the case... Boy, you got a problem because then what about salvation? You see where that intersects? You see where that causes a problem? And so I'm very careful not to attribute everything that takes place uh, as, as, as though God is in heaven pulling the strings and ordaining that this and this and this takes place. Like if you're driving to church today and you get a flat tire. Uh, well, you know, I guess God caused me to have a flat tire and this is why and this is that. Uh, you just need to be careful. Uh, sometimes things happen in our life because we're just, we're just dumb. We just are. I don't know about you, but I make dumb mistakes in my life. And, uh, and, and sometimes I'm like, well, that was a dumb mistake that I made. Uh, you know, if you uh, sometimes are working with stuff and I hit my finger or this or that. Uh, well, do you really believe that God ordained that you were supposed to hit your finger in that moment? Maybe it was just a dumb, clumsy mistake that you made. And so I'm very careful about, about attributing accidents and all of those things to God's control, I'll say it that way. But I also, I choose to look at it this way, that God is the master at using our dumb mistakes for His honor and for His glory. He really is really good at it. Uh, there's an illustration I heard a long time ago, and I looked for it and I wasn't able to find it, so I'll give you the best rendition of it that I can, uh, is that a painter was in his... his um, his workshop, and he was painting a picture. And as he was painting a picture, uh, he, he had stopped for a little bit, and, and somebody had come through, and, and, uh, and somehow they, they, they smudged a big black spot right in the middle of his canvas. And boy, they, they felt horrendously bad. They're like, I am so sorry. I messed up your wonderful masterpiece, and I really apologize about it. It was black. It's not like you could just cover it up or mesh it into another color. I mean, it was a big smudge right in the middle of this guy's canvas. And of course he was upset, but after a while he thought, that's okay. And he took the canvas and, and he set it aside. And, and after a, a quite some while, he, he decided what he would do with that canvas. And so he got it back out and he put it back on his easel and he started painting. And, and around that smudge and around that mark, he painted one of the most fabulous paintings that he had come up with. And, uh, and later the guy saw it 
And, and he showed it to the guy, and he said, do you recognize this? The guy was like, no, I have no idea. He said, that's that canvas that you smudged. And it was just a beautiful painting. And the point is this, we have ugly, dumb mistakes that we make in our life, but God is able to take all of that and use it for His honor and His glory and have a beautiful painting come out if we'll allow God to work in our life. And you go through Bible example after example after example of people in the Bible that God did just that with their life. And so I want us to look at it this way. And now God certainly does judge sin, and there are definite times when God says, hey, this is a judgment. And the Bible does not say that about Ahaziah, and so I'm not willing to, uh, to say that either. Now, I wouldn't fight somebody that, that disagreed with me. Great, you believe what you want, and you know what? When we get to heaven, God will straighten us both out because we're probably both messed up. Uh, in some areas. And so uh, I'm just explaining. We see the plight of Ahaziah. Now I want you to notice the, the incident. It was an accident that Ahaziah fell through this lattice. And again, we don't know why. Uh, but we do know, uh, this is interesting, uh, and I love this passage. Turn back with me to 1 Kings chapter 22, just back one page in verse number 34. You remember that God uh, told Elijah, he said, hey listen, Ahab is going to die and the dogs are going to lick up his blood. Uh, go back with me to 1 Kings chapter 22, just back a page in verse number 34. And I find this verse ever so interesting. And the Bible says this, let me back up and tell you the story. What's going on is the, uh, the King Ahab is at war, and he went to war with Jehoshaphat, another king. Uh, one was the king of, of, of half of Israel. The other king was the, the king of the other half of, of Israel. It wasn't half, so I guess it was more like one eleventh or something like that. And, uh, some, and the other one was the king of the majority. But nonetheless, they're in battle. And look at what happens during this battle. Verse number 34 and a certain man drew a bow at a venture and smote the king of Israel between the joints of the heart harness, wherefore he said unto the driver of his chariot, Turn thine hand and carry me out of the host, for I am wounded. Here's what took place this whole... This is an amazing chapter. We don't have time to go into all this, but I'm going to. Uh, so, so King Ahab went to war with King Jehoshaphat against another country. I believe it was the Syrians, if I remember correctly. And, and so King Ahab thought, you know what? I'm going to change my clothes so that I look like a common soldier. And the, the, I believe it was the enemy, the Syrians, I think it was, were coming after. They were, set, they were told, hey, fight against Ahab. You find King Ahab and you kill him. And they even chased after Jehoshaphat and realized he's not King Ahab, so they left off following him. And then we have verse 34 that is, seems so random in the Scriptures. And a certain man drew a bow at venture and smote the king of Israel, that would be King Ahab, between the joints of the harness, where, wherefore he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn thine hand and carry me out of the host, for I am wounded. This is the most amazing picture because 
I'm picturing a wild, crazy battle going on, and this guy in the back, because the archers would stand back and they would launch arrows against the enemy uh, over the heads of their frontline soldiers and rain down arrow fire on top of them. And so it's not like a sniper arrow saying, man, I'm going to aim this dead in for where it's going. Uh, he just was pulling back and lobbing arrows over the heads of their, uh, their frontline soldiers and the Bible says that it hit between the joints of the armor. And that just kind of amazes me. And, and, and I'm saying this, the Bible doesn't say that it was God that directed all that. Now you go to David and Goliath, and I believe, hey, God's hand was upon that. Uh, I, I certainly believe God was, was instituting in that. And, and I don't know, I'm not saying God was not in that, but I'm just saying the Bible says adventure. And I find it kind of curious that Ahab, he did end up dying from there. Matter of fact, they took the chariot and they washed it out uh, with water. And the Bible says, guess what? The dogs licked up his blood, just like Elijah had prophesied. And so God did work all of that out in that aspect that the, the dogs did lick up his blood according to the prophecy. But I'm just saying, hey, it, was, uh, it seems kind of random and the word venture means a hazard, an undertaking of chance. And so we find that King Ahab died uh, as a result of an accident, a random arrow shot that happened to hit between the joints of his, uh, of his armor as the Bible would, would have it spelled out. And then we find his son, Ahaziah, who falls through a lattice. And I'm just saying that accidents can and do happen, and, uh, and did God have his hand in that? He could have. I'm not saying he didn't, but uh, I'm just careful not to attribute everything to God that the Scripture does not attribute to him. But I do know this, it was prophesied of God, and it was said that they would die. And so I'm not surprised that they would die, though I may be surprised in the manner that they did die. And it was not like God said, uh, you know, there are certain acts of judgment where God certainly uh, sent down fire or sent an enemy and consumed them. And it tells that he did that. Uh, but we find here that, uh, that it was an incident. It was a plight uh, that took place in the life of Ahaziah. But I want you to notice this, and maybe God was giving Ahaziah a chance to turn, a chance to change his life, a chance to call on God. But uh, look at what we find here in verse number 2. The Bible says this, after he fell and was sick, he sent messengers and said to them, Go inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron. What a sad statement. Not only do we find the incident of Ahaziah, we find the inquiry of Ahaziah. And, and he's wondering, am I going to recover or am I going to die? And we find that uh, he sends his messengers not to the God of Israel, not to Jerusalem, not to find the prophet Elijah, not to find some other prophet of God, but rather to a false God in a false country. That just is unbelievable to me. But here's, that was his inquiry. And, uh, and Ekron was located about 40 miles away. It was and roughly a two-day journey for those messengers, and obviously that's why he was not able to go himself. And so we find it is a great, uh, a great uh, effort that he undertakes to send these messengers 
farther away to talk to some false god than to talk to God. What a slap in the face of God. And we find his inquiry. We find the interception of Elijah. I love this in verses 3 and 4. Look at what it says at the end of verse, well, verse number 3. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers. Now, I'll attribute that to God because it says very clearly God said so. So here's these messengers going to, uh, going to Ekron. And they're, they're leaving. And as they're going in the way, God sends Elijah and runs into them. Happen chance. No, no. It was God. That they would intercept and run into them. And Elijah, God must have told Elijah exactly where to go. I mean, they had already left and they were on their way. And I'm amazed at God's timing and God's ability uh, certainly to set things up and have a divine appointment that God did set up and God did send Elijah to intercept those uh, messengers that were heading to Ekron. And look at what he says there. He says, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say unto them, Is it not because there is not a God of Israel that ye go to inquire of Baalzebub, the God of Ekron? And then he proclaims the, the statement there in verse number 4, Hey, they're going to die. Or King, King Ahaziah is going to die. He's not going to live. And, uh, and so God sends Elijah to intercept these, uh, these two messengers. And so we see the plight uh, of, of Ahaziah. I want you to see the plan of Ahaziah. This is, amazes me as we look at this. He says there in verse number 5, When the messengers turned back unto him, he said unto them, Why are ye now turned back? And they said unto him, There came a man to meet us, and said unto us, Go turn again unto the king that sent you, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, it is, not be, is it not because there is not a God in Israel that thou sendest to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. And he said unto them, What manner of man was he which came up to meet you? And told you these words. They answered him, He was an hairy man, and girt with a girdle of leather about his loins. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. Boy, he, he was intent. We see the plan of Ahaziah. We saw the plight of Ahaziah as he had fallen through that lattice, the incident, and all of the things that were going on. But I want you to notice there in verse number 5, as the messengers had come back and given Ahaziah the message that Elijah had given them. I want you to notice this, just a side note about the messengers. They were faithful to deliver the message exactly as Elijah had given it to them. And so here he is, he's standing uh, there, and, 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 and all of a sudden, boy, Ahaziah, he's irate. He's like, wait a minute, you guys haven't been gone for four days. It's a 40-mile journey all the way to Ekron, uh, and then maybe a day there and maybe two days back. He wasn't expecting them for at least a week, and they might not have even been gone for a day. Probably they weren't. And, uh, and all of a sudden they're coming in, and he's like, wait a minute, what's going on? What? Why are you back here? Why are you not halfway to Ekron by now? Uh, what is going on? And, and of course they tell him, well, you know, we met a messenger in the way and he gave us a messenger for them. And immediately, uh, because he didn't like the message, which the message was this, 
Is it not because there is not a God in Israel that thou sendest to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? He's saying, hey, isn't there a God that is superior to Beelzebub that's located right here in your town that you could have inquired of him, but you go all the way uh, across to another country uh, to find out some answer from God? Boy, Ahaziah didn't like that. He didn't like the, the fact that they were back already. He didn't like the fact that God sent a messenger to intercept them. And, uh, and he was intent on identifying this messenger. He said there in verse number 5, he said, Why are you now turned back? Uh, but uh, verse number 6, we read that. And verse number 7, And he said to them, What manner of man was he which came up to meet you? Listen, Ahaziah had no fear of God in his life. We see that because he sent messengers to Ekron. We see that because uh, he was not inquiring of God. And, uh, and he had no fear or respect for God. And clearly, he had no, no fear or respect uh, for the man of God. And, uh, and he starts inquiring immediately, uh, who is this man? And, uh, and, and I want you to notice... Elijah was a renowned character. I mean, they knew who he was. In Israel, he was a known man. With King Ahab, uh, they knew. Remember when, when he had proclaimed to King Ahab that it would not rain, and it was three and a half years, King Ahab had searched the land from top to bottom. Undoubtedly, when they had the showdown on Mount Carmel, uh, all, much of Israel was gathered there to watch this. And undoubtedly, uh, for, for months afterwards, Elijah had been talked about. He was a very well-known character in Israel. He was a very public prophet in the nation of Israel. And so when he comes and meets these guys and tells them that, and of course Ahaziah has in the back of his mind thinking, it's that prophet of God, Elijah, the enemy of my father and my enemy. There's no doubt about that. And look at, uh, and so he identifies him. They, they give him the little information that they do, and he says, it's Elijah the Tishbite. And, uh, and look at the intimidation that he, he sends towards Elijah. Look with me in verse number 9. The Bible says, Then the king sent unto him a captain of fifty, and with his fifty, and he went up to him, and behold, he sat on the top of the hill, and he spake unto him, Thou man of God, the king has said, Come down. Boy, the boldness and arrogance of this soldier. And verse number 10, Elijah answered and said unto the captain of fifty, If I be a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee in thy fifty. And there came down fire from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. This is a great story. It doesn't stop. Verse number 11. Again, also, he sent to him another captain of fifty with his fifty. And he answered and said unto him, O man of God, thus hath the king said, Come down quickly. He adds yet another demand to it. And, uh, and the king is demanding, hey, you bring Elijah to me and you bring him to me now. You can almost hear uh, his, his uh, anger in his voice. Verse number 12, and Elijah answered and said to him, if I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And 
the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Verse number 13, and he sent again a captain of the third 50 with his 50. Just a few notes about this. We'll stop there just momentarily. I want you to notice that this was much an intimidation that uh, Ahe, Ahe, the king, uh, Ahaziah, I don't know why I cannot remember his name, uh, was, was sending 50 soldiers and a captain after Elijah. We're talking about a prophet of God. We're talking about one man. The, the intention uh, was, was not good. I mean, uh, could you imagine if a, if a squad of 50 soldiers come after you um, and, and you're just one guy? Uh, and so it was a very intimidating effect. It implies that either he was going to be hostily taken and thrown in prison or probably killed, and probably that would be the idea that Ahaziah had. And we see his persistence. Hey, when those first soldiers uh, got burnt up, no doubt, word came back to the king. Oh, all those soldiers, they just died. Fire fell from heaven, and they're all gone. And we find, man, he gets mad. He says, send another group. And you tell them, I want it done now. Get that guy here. And you see that he says, come, he says, come down quickly. And then the third group, look at what he says. He, he is persistent in sending those soldiers. Look at what he says in verse number 13 in the middle. And the third captain of his 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and besought him and said unto him, O man of God, I pray thee, let my life and the life of these 50 thy servants be precious in thy sight. Listen, we have the... Uh, the intervention of God. And, God and, and you look at this captain's response, it was humility. Listen, if you want to make headway with God, don't, don't shake your fist at God and demand things of God. You come to him as this, this king did. He fell on his knees. He said, God, he said, Elijah, he said, we're your servants. You look, look how he humbles all of his squadron says, hey, we are here to serve you. Would you please come down? We're asking you. We're begging you. Spare our lives. Don't, don't, don't kill us. Don't call down fire. He was humble, and, uh, and he calls him a man of God more than the other kings did. He said, thy servants. And he said, let my life be precious. And we find that God intercedes and allows them to live, and fire does not fall from heaven I want you to notice, lastly, the proclamation of Elijah. And I'll just give you these. The instruction uh, was that, hey, uh, we find, look with me in verse number 15 really quick. And the angel of the Lord said unto Elijah, go down with him and be not afraid of him. And he arose and went down with him unto the king. You find that angel of the Lord is the, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. God himself was there with Elijah. This is not the first time we find that in Elijah's life. He was watching out for Elijah. He was protecting Elijah. And he was saying, hey, okay, Elijah, now, now you can go with these guys. It's okay. They've humbled themselves. And we find Elijah does go. And uh, Elijah was very obedient. Uh, John Butler said this, anybody can speak boldly on the road, of, uh, road to Ekron, in other words, confronting the messengers, but it takes a man of tremendous spiritual courage to faithfully speak the truth in the palace of Ahaziah. And he certainly does that. 
I want you to notice that that question is asked three times. It's written down in the Word of God. It's written down when God tells Elijah, uh, or Elijah tells the messengers, rather, there in verse number, verse number, well, God tells Elijah in verse 3, in verse number uh, 6, uh, the messengers repeat that message to King Ahaziah. And then in verse number uh, 16, it's repeated again as Elijah goes to the king and tells him the exact same thing. Listen, when something is repeated in the word of God frequently, hey, you better note it down. You better pay close attention to it. This was important to God, that Ahaziah had totally rebelled against God and completely if I can say it this way, disowned God and was heading off to serve another God. And God was not happy with that. And we find that Ahaziah, he died from that injury. And listen, the Bible, I was reminded of this verse in Ecclesiastes 12, 13. The Bible says this, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Ahaziah was not leading Israel in the right direction. He was, he was leading that. The, the fact that he was sending messengers was a public statement to the country of Israel. We're not serving God. We're serving Beelzebub. It was, a, it was not only a statement to Israel, it was a statement to, to the world. When those messengers would have arrived in Ekron, listen, the talk would have passed the word, oh, Israel, Israel's no longer inquiring of God of Beelzebub, which must be more powerful than God. You see how it would have put a black eye to the name of God in the world, in Israel, for, for Ahaziah to send those messengers out to Ekron was a real problem. And God said, I'm not going to allow you, as a leader of Israel, my chosen people, to make that kind of a statement and that kind of rebellion against God. And so God closed it down. And listen, we ought to be very careful that, hey, we fear God, we follow God. And, uh, and what, a, what a tremendous lesson. There's so much packed in that passage that you can get out. But I hope and pray that that is a help and a blessing to you as we stand to our feet, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for just how rich and full of information your word is. God, I pray that you would just bless each and every person that's here this morning. Help us to see, God, how truly marvelous you are. God, I pray that you would just speak to hearts. Help us to fear you. Help us to follow you. Help us to obey you. Even in the face of fear, as Elijah did, I pray that you'd comfort, encourage, and strengthen each and every believer that's here. And Father, if there's one that does not know you, God, I pray that your spirit would show them their need for salvation. We'll thank you for that. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. As we have a short hymn of invitation, always like to give an opportunity if God's spoken to your heart. Take a moment to pray. Take a moment to maybe just thank him. Maybe just ask him to strengthen you. Whatever the need, the altar is open. You've
pray there in your seat. You can pray at the altar.